Now entering Nerdist.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 45, The Gamesters of Triskelion. Welcome into Mission Law, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. This week, a game of thralls. Compliments of the Gamesters of Triskelion. Facing off, the thralls John Champion and Ken Ray. Hold on a second. We will not fight for your amusement. Uh, that's right. We'll fight for our own amusement. We'll analyze this episode of Star Trek, as we do all of them, taking it apart from messages, morals, and meanings, and figuring out whether the episode stands the test of time. Oh, I like their energy. 50 quatloos on the pasty one. They're both pretty pasty. Well, the pastier one, then. Providers, please, this is only an exhibition. This is not a competition. Though I will say, I've been working my brain muscles. Smart quatloons are on me. Ken, the, the only thing that I will bet my quat lose on mm-hmm. is that we will say quat lose at least 10 more times before this episode is over. I've already screwed it up. I said quat loons. So oh. <laughs> in fairness to me, I live near the Canadian border. So maybe <laughs> <laughs> that's what they have in Canada is quat loons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, The quat loonies, I believe they called them up there. Now I'm thinking maybe the quat lose should be on you because I've already made my first mistake. Maybe it was <laughs> fatal. We'll find out as the match progresses. Well, if we're talking about Quatloos, we can only be talking about one thing, and that is the gamesters of Triskelion. Um, so welcome joining us here on Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, where we will pick apart that episode. But before we get into the meat and potatoes of the episode, Ken, I'm, I'm so ready for this. Uh, I'm ready to flex my gladiatorial muscles in the realm of trivia. You know, I will say really quickly. If all you're going to do is, you know, say what the providers have already said, you're just trying to curry favor. I'm, I'm beginning to think this game is rigged. But go ahead. Do, <laughs> do, do your little trivia thing. And, and, you know, when it comes down to, you know, Braino e Braino, uh-huh. we'll see who wins. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to get in your head. Please do, uh, do the trivia thing. Uh, this this uh, neck thing is getting a little tight. <laughs> all right. Uh, so. First of all, if we're talking about the gamesters of Triskelion, it, it is impossible to talk about this show without talking about Angelique Pettyjohn, who is the standout icon of this episode. Uh, she plays Shanna, the game thrall who is assigned to Kirk. And um, interestingly enough, uh, if you look at the overview of her career, she appeared in Clambake with Elvis. Um, by the way, Ken, we've had another Elvis co-star on Star Trek so far. Do you know who that is? Uh, another female co-star? Um, was it was it a Princess from Father Knows Best? Oh, no, you were so close. It was uh, Celeste Yarnell who appeared in The Apple as uh, Martha Landon. She oh. was in an Elvis movie as well. Um, and here's what's interesting about Angelique Pettyjohn. So she, she did a lot of TV in the 60s. And uh, later on in the late 70s, early 80s, she did some films of an adult nature um, where you can look those up on your own. And uh, she made a small career out of selling posters of herself as Shanna, both in and out of that costume on the convention circuit. So that was kind of in the late 70s. So a good 10 years after they made this show, she was back in the costume and they did the racier version of that poster. And that was kind of a a big deal on the convention circuit uh, when you got that poster and got that autographed. Um, How many Quatloos do you think those would go for today? I, you know what? I, I have to set up my uh, eBay Quatlu converter to find that out. <laughs> but but I, now, now I kind of want one because after seeing this episode again and, and reinvigorating my interest in that show, um, I think it's kind of cool. It's such a great collectible. Uh, now, tragically, tragically, she passed away at the very young age of 48 from cancer. Um, but like I said, she is the iconic kind of symbol of this show. Speaking of something that kind of lasted, outlasted this particular episode, Quatloos, as we said, the, the currency of the providers, I kind of love that they have a life of their own. In fact, 
Uh, I even heard Hank Moody, the, the David Duchovny character on Californication, refer to that currency in an episode. Just totally offhanded. How many quatloos did this cost you? So I, <laughs> I love that. Um, great bit of trivia about the voice actors who were the providers. So there were, there were three of them. And uh, Bart LaRue was the voice of the Guardian in City on the Edge of Forever. Very distinctive voice there. Um, Walker Edmiston did the Transformers. He did uh, a lot of cartoons. And he did Lidsville and H.R. Puffin stuff and practically all of the Sid and Marty Croft shows from the late 60s and early to mid-70s. Um, and then finally, Bob Johnson did the voice of the mission tape at the top of each episode of Mission Impossible. Not only the original Mission Impossible, but then the reboot uh, or revamp they did in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, and that's another show with just a ton of Star Trek crossover. I want to point out a couple of uh, story things here. The original draft called Gamesters of Pentathlon uh, is very similar in plot points and the description of the providers having evolved past their humanoid forms. Um, some interesting differences, though, in the original uh, draft, it was a shuttlecraft crash that stranded the crew on the planet. And originally it was Sulu, not Chekhov, who is the uh, the additional crew member uh, on the planet. Now, George Takei was making the Green Berets at the time, and uh, it has been said that he is uh, filled with regret that he didn't get to do this episode. We might have seen more shirtless uh, Sulu swordplay had he been around for it. Um, and, and you just got to mention that music, again, from Amok Time, uh, the battle music in this is just so good. No quadlos to bet for the fight? Spaceport Plaza Jewelers buys jewels, communicators, old phasers and more. Spaceport Plaza Jewelers. Top quadlu for the bangle. Prologue. The Enterprise is in orbit around Gamma 2. Nothing there, just an automatic communications and astrogation station. Still Kirk, the captain of the ship, will check it out personally taking Uhura and Chekhov along with them. The three go to beam away, but they aren't beamed. They're pulled to a completely new location. Both the landing party and the Enterprise realize something is amiss. In their unknown location, Kirk and crew are beset upon by various aliens, most bearing weapons. Phasers aren't working, so they'll have to go hand-to-hand. -hand. Kirk's the only one getting anywhere in the fight until one of the two people fighting Uhura turns on Kirk instead. She's got him at the sharp end of a pointy thing as we head to the opening credits. Act 1. Kirk, Uhura, and Chekhov, still under the physical control of the aliens, are greeted by Galt, master thrall of the planet Triskelion. He really likes both the fighting spirit and the fighting ability of the three of them. They'll do awesome here. How did he know who they were? Oh, that. The Providers told him. He belongs to the Providers, as do the other aliens. And Kirk, Uhura, and Chekhov. They are thralls now. Now time for your training. Today is the first day of the rest of your life on Triskelion, as a thrall. The Enterprise is still puzzling over the disappearance of the captain. There's nothing wrong with the transporter and no sign of the missing crew members on Gamma 2, so we'll have to think about this for a little while. Back on Triskelion, Kirk, Uhura, and Chekhov try and escape. Doesn't go well. Turns out those neat new necklaces they've got are actually collars of obedience. One move out of line and Galt's eyes go disco, dropping the disobedient thralls in a serious amount of pain. So into their cages they go. A little time passes and in comes Lars, big blonde guy who was fighting Kirk earlier. He introduces himself as Uhura's drill thrall. He then enters her enclosure, saying in a sinister way that he has been selected for her. Kirk can't see what's going on, but it doesn't sound like things are going well for Uhura. There are sounds of a fight and a screaming Uhura. A desperate Kirk lashes out at his approaching drill thrall as we go to break. Act 2. So yeah, nothing seems to have happened to Uhura after all, though Lars is telling her that she is not allowed to refuse selection. Lars out. Meanwhile, Kirk's drill thrall tells him it's time to eat. Back aboard the Enterprise, we finally got... something. Could be a trail. We're not sure. Still, it's the first sign of anything since the disappearance of the officers, so Spock is on the move. Back on Triskelion, turns out Kirk was hungry. He eats and quizzes his drill thrall, Shauna. This food's good. What do you call it? We call it nourishment. 
Okay, what's with the collars? Turns out his collar will be a certain color when he's developed and vended. That'll show to which provider he belongs. Oh, you mean slavery. Got it. Is Galt the only one who can control the collars of obedience, by the way? We don't talk about that. Okay, let's talk about how beautiful you are, beautiful. And the Kirk charm offensive is underway. Except she doesn't know about beautiful. And she's always been here. Her mom died in a freestyle match, which Kirk will learn about later. And now, time for exercise. This is your training harness. Put it on. On the training floor, Galt brings a thrall. Big guy, though, he was apparently slow in obeying an order. So everybody's supposed to use him as target practice as part of their training. Uhura is ordered to go first, but she refuses. All three of the Enterprise crew refuse. Then Galt gets his disco eyes on, and they begin to choke. Briefly. Galt says Uhura has to be punished, though Kirk moves himself into her place. So now he'll be target practice. It'll hurt less than the collar, though indications are it will leave him dead. We'll find out after the break. Act 3. Kirk is getting the tar beaten out of him. Hands tied, he's pretty much unable to fight, though he does get in a good kick before the rest interval. Shauna tells Kirk that his opponent's left eye is weak. If he wants to get him, come at him from that side. And he does, which gives him enough time to free himself of his cuffs and get the drop on his massive opponent. Hold, says a disembodied voice. This is Provider 1. He and two others start calling out amounts of quatlos. They're bidding on who owns the newcomers. Provider 1 wins, which sets Providers 2 and 3 betting on whether they'll live, die, or even be trainable. Way to go, newcomers. You're part of a fine herd now. Now behave, or we'll kill you. Shauna and Kirk are out on his training run. During a break, Kirk quizzes her on why the providers like to watch others fight and kill each other. Eh, it's just how things are done. Kirk begins to put a few things together. He suspects that the providers don't have bodies. He thinks they used to, and that they used to live in cities, which are now just ruins. This line of conversation is making Shauna uptight, though. Maybe the charm offensive will calm her down. Look at the stars, baby. Let me whisper in your ear how awesome other ways of life are. You know, besides slavery, which is what this is. You know what's better? Love. What is love? Love is the most important thing on earth, says Kirk, especially to a man and a woman. It was 1968. Oh, Shauna says, the whole man-woman thing. When it's time to increase the herd, yeah, I know about that. Yeah, maybe, though if Kirk had a hi-fi, he'd be playing Let's Get It On. Shauna is obviously intrigued, though uncomfortable as well. Such talk is not allowed. Fine, then. Tell me about the providers. Well, and down goes Shauna. Kirk yells to the sky, Stop it! It was my fault! Knock it off! Act 4. Kirk continues his plea for whatever's choking Shauna to quit it. If you want to punish somebody, punish me! The voice of Provider 1 quizzes Kirk. Is that what you humans call compassion? Interesting, but it serves no purpose here. Now learn to obey. The provider releases Shauna. Kirk soothes her, though she's amazed. He risked getting the providers angry at him to save her. Well, that's what my people do. Now let's make out. Suddenly, in pops Galt. Because Kirk has amused the providers, there will be no punishment. Now go to your room. Now, this whole episode, we've seen the Enterprise on what may be the trail of Kirk, Uhura, and Chekhov. And we've seen McCoy and Scotty second-guess Spock's every decision. They think the three crewmates are still in the vicinity of Gamma 2, not halfway across the galaxy. And Spock has had enough. He is in command. Do they want to follow his orders, or do they plan to mutiny? That shut him up. Tell you what, though, we'll do it my way, and if it doesn't work, then we'll do it your way. Cool? Cool. Back in his quarters, Kirk's playing on Shanna's turbulent emotions. She'd ask for him to have another drill thrall where it allowed, but Kirk says he wouldn't like that. Now let's make out. Then Kirk knocks Shanna unconscious, apologizes, takes her key and frees himself, Chekhov and Uhura. If they can find their phasers, they can short out their collars. Uh-oh, there's Galt, and he got his disco eyes going, which makes the crew swoon. By which I mean choke. It's just a brief reminder, though, Compliments of Provider 1. Back aboard the Enterprise, they seem to have actually found something. Spock will beam down to check it out. McCoy will follow. And no, they won't, because now the Providers control the Enterprise. Kirk and the Providers explain the setup of the Society. 
Well, we call ourselves providers because we provide for all the thralls' needs. And besides, they're dumb and wouldn't really get what's going on. Now Kirk plays the provider's vanity against them. You're chicken. You won't show yourselves because you're afraid. Oh yeah? We'll show you. And they do. The providers, it turns out, are light-up brains under glass. It was all these mental pursuits, you see. We're, like, so smart. And we kind of evolved beyond the need for bodies. But we still need people. Oh, not to do work for us, but to fight. The games are the only things that give us purpose. Besides, we're only using inferior intellects like yours. Yeah, that's still uncool. Whatever, says the providers. We're going to kill you and destroy your ship. Make it look like an accident so that no one investigates us. Told you we were smart. Tell you what, says Kirk, how about a wager? We'll fight your thralls. You choose the weapons. If we win, you free us and the thralls. If we lose, the whole crew of the Enterprise will be your thralls. The providers are in, but it'll be Kirk against three thralls rather than all of the Enterprise crew versus all of the thralls. Oh, and it's a fight to the death. Go! Kirk's not doing bad. Two thralls are dead and one's injured. But by the stated rules, the injured one has to be replaced. Shauna is forced into the ring. Kirk is able to best her, though she doesn't have to die. She calls out that the thralls surrender. Probably the other two wish they'd thought of that. The providers concede defeat. Kirk wins. The thralls will be freed. The providers will train the thralls to govern themselves. Time for a tearful goodbye with Shauna. She'd like to come with Kirk, but, uh... Yeah, she's got a lot of learning to do, so why don't you do that, and, um, bye. The end. <laughs> get, get, I, I have to tell you that this great line that uh, my friend Dan wrote on Twitter, and it, it was just in quotes. It was, love? What is love? Signed, every alien babe right before they are banged by Captain Kirk. <laughs> oh, golly. <laughs> I will say, so I watched the episode uh, the first time, and, you know, I was kind of uh, enthralled. Oh. But I watched it the second time, and I was like, wow, this is like, this is, this is, so normally Kirk is quietly putting on his pants and carrying his boots out. Right. Basically. And this may be the first time that he's had to say, yeah, but, you know, I've got a ship. And I've got a lot of stuff, plus you wouldn't really like it in space. I know I said it would be awesome, but, ooh, is that the time? Tell you what, right. I'm going to go grab breakfast, and you wait here, and I, um, bye. I feel so bad for Shauna. <laughs> I feel I really terrible do. for her. It is yeah. so awful. And she even calls him on it. I mean, yeah. she, you know, little brain that she is, according to the big brains under glass, she's like, right. wow, you lied to me. You used yeah. me. Kind of like, um, kind of like, uh, chicken cat's paw. You used me. And Kirk's like, no, baby, no, come on. You were seriously <laughs> the only girl for me on this planet right this minute. Right. Until I have to leave, <laughs> exactly. which is now. Yeah. Oh, Shauna, you just wouldn't under. I'm like, I look over there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I felt, yeah. yeah, I felt terrible for her. I did. Yeah. And um, I, I would imagine we may come back to that in a bit. We, we may very well. <laughs> um, now, the, the final uh, fight scene mm -hmm. where uh, Kirk has risked the, the lives of everybody in the Enterprise, um, I thought it was very interesting that they state right at the beginning of the fight that there's this rule where, you know, he's in the yellow portions and then the other game thralls are in the blue portions. And if they were to step into the wrong color space, they would immediately lose one of their weapons. And I thought that was a really interesting idea. And it's too bad that uh, they ignored it after the first second that the fight started. Because they're just jumping all over the place and nobody's losing weapons and uh, yeah. Do you want to know why I'm so terrible at Settlers of Catan? Why is that? Lots of rules and I pay no attention. It's interesting to me that you noticed that they messed up the rules. I got the big rule of if you kill somebody, then you know you you go ahead one thrall. Right. But if right. you only injure them, then they can be replaced with a perfectly yeah, healthy nice. thrall. Why yeah. that stuck with me and the rest of it didn't, I don't know. Because I'm reading your notes before we start. Yeah. And you're like, oh, they stepped on the wrong color. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember totally tuning that out. I remember completely tuning that <laughs> out. And like, okay, here are the rules. <laughs> well, see, I was looking at that big pattern with the, the blue and yellow tiles, and I, I kept thinking as I was watching it, you know, two and three times, like, that would make a great 
kitchen floor <laughs> or uh, <laughs> pattern yeah. in the bathroom, something like that. You yeah, know? the whole time I was thinking triominoes. In fact, I thought mm, that mm. might be the game of Triskelion until uh, <laughs> yeah. turn, turns out not. Until they got out the weapons. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, and I, I like that you mentioned that Kirk gives the order for them to go hand to hand. I don't know why I love that so much, but, but I do. Because they wouldn't have thought of it? They, they wouldn't have. They would have just stuck off would have just kept like aiming his phaser. No, really, you're <laughs> supposed to be dying right now. You're spo- you should be. You, why isn't this? Ow. You're right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you hit me. Who gave you the order for hand to hand? Can somebody give the order for hand to hand, please? Because this, this aiming a phaser thing isn't working. Oh, hand to hand. Right. Okay. Go. <laughs> exactly. Hey, uh, speaking of Chekhov, um, I, did you notice that it was interesting? There's a little uh, gender bending there from from a human perspective we don't know anything about the the species of the game thrall that is assigned to him yeah um and, and then he has a, a, as spock would say a rather provincial reaction to this well all right uh, let, let's not do much more on that because we're definitely yeah, yeah that's that's coming you, you to, okay it was all interesting right. though it was very it was um yeah it was mm-hmm. interesting because i know well i mean like i said when kirk does his whole ah should we, uh, yeah let, let's wait yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I know that was no I just problem. you just heard me like blow up. It, it's I was working my brain hard for this uh, for this match, John. So forgive me if I'm a little Yeah, oh no, I understand. I understand. Go ahead. Um another thing that we can learn from this uh still can't trust Andorians. We we've only met Andorians a few episodes ago in um Turning to Babel. And uh what happened with the Andorian there? Oh, we tried to kill Kirk. Wait, wasn't that a fake Andorian though? Well, you had a fake Andorian and you had a real Andorian. But, yeah, the fake Andorian was trying to kill Kirk. But at least Kirk is used to uh, uh, Andorian combat because in this they just throw an Andorian in there. Yeah, I feel kind of bad for it. Although it was neat to see. I mean, it's sort of like the time that we saw the Nancy Crater monster mm-hmm. um, turn up at um, in the Squire of Gothos. It was right, neat to right. see a returning alien besides yeah. a Vulcan or a Klingon. Right, very or, true. Or a Klingon. <laughs> yeah, either one. Which, whichever. Yeah, it was neat. I mean, it was neat to say, hey, I know what that is. That's an Andorian. I don't know that we've ever actually seen a real one, but mm-hmm. good. Look, look at him. And sadly, things are not going to go well no. for this Andorian. This portion of Mission Log brought to you by Good Boy Collars of Obedience. Good Boy. The preferred collars of obedience of Provider 2. So I didn't know exactly how to bring it up in the story recap, but there is something... um, If this were a book instead of a TV show for the 1960s, or, I mean, if this were a TV show for the 90s or, or beyond... Um, who did I get raped in this episode? Um, that moment made me so uncomfortable that I didn't write it in my notes. And it so, okay. Here's here's yeah. why I will give it credit. It was mm-hmm. very well done. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying oh, it was tasteful rape. I'm saying I mean it, when that's happening. Generally speaking, when they do stuff like that, like when they don't show you what's going on, you're like, ah, it's because they didn't have the money for the effects. Or okay, they're going to tell us what happened because they you know they can't really afford to show it or they can't think of how to show it. They don't tell us what happens here. Well, no, but you, you see the shadow and you hear the screams and yes. you see the look on Kirk's face. Yes. And it, it's, it, it is the most serious dramatic part of this episode. Yes. And, it's, and it's, it happens early on. Yeah. It's uh, similar to, um, I mean, if you want to, and if you want to treat a, an episode of Star Trek like, you know, a movie that has, has really stood the test of time pretty well. Um, a lot of people remember how absolutely horribly violent the moment was in, um, oh, what's the Tarantino movie? Reservoir Dogs. Mm-hmm. A lot of people remember how disgusting and graphic and awful it is when Mr. Blonde cuts off the cop's ear. Right. It doesn't happen on camera. And there are so many people who can tell you exactly how horrible and disgusting that image was. And what, yeah. what Tarantino actually does is he moves the camera. He pans the camera up and to the left. So we don't see it. But it is so like, ugh, so well done that a lot of people remember it. And you got kind of the same thing going on here with Uhura. Now we do have to back up. It is 1968 television. So when we come back, nothing has happened to her. 
Yeah, and, but, and that's the really weird part of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, except there is a distinction made later. I mean, if you go back and piece it together, if you watch the episode a second time, with an eye on that specifically, there's a distinction um, between what's happening with most of them and what has already happened with Uhura. Um, when Tamun, Chekhov's um, androgynous drill thrall, comes in, Chekhov says, you have been selected for me? To which mm-hmm. Tamun replies, no, 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 I'm just your drill thrall. Though there is indication at some point they may be selected for each other. Well, obviously, being selected for each other, I mean, has to do with, with well, it's tough to say. I mean, is it about mating? Is it about increasing the herd? Or is it about subjugation? Because right. when it happens, like, like top of the mark for Uhura and Lars, I, it seems to yeah. me that it's very much about subjugation. And again, I mean, then, you know, this week in sexism brought to you by Utz potato chips. I mean, it, this, this again <laughs> yeah. is like immediately the woman is subject, uh, um, uh, subjugated. Immediately yeah. the woman is just knocked down as many pegs as possible, as quickly as possible. And, and the way to do that is that particular kind of physical violence, it seems. And I'm not, yeah. and the thing is, I'm not, I'm not actually necessarily faulting Star Trek for sexism this time because that's, I mean, that's a way that people have used to control races, um, you know, when they're conquering people um, for, for golly, thousands of years at this point. Um, here's the thing. It, it stands out because at no point later in the episode is that ever referred, you know, at no point does Kirk ever say, are you okay? Or, you know, well, because that's, it, it didn't that's the hard part. Well, we're right. Yeah. But that's the hard part to wrap your head around because you you see this indicated scene anyway. Yeah. And like I said, it, it's the most serious thing that happens within the context of this episode. Yeah. Um, and, and then the fact that you see her at the end and, and Uhura is fine and you know her, her costume is not even ripped. Right. <laughs> you know, she, she's all right. Um, no, you see her a minute later and she's fine. I mean, this yeah, I mean, yeah, it really yeah. didn't happen. I mean, this yeah. is... Kudos to the writer. Kudos to the director. Um, Nichelle Nichols can scream, mm-hmm. and but I mean you can't on 1968 television make that happen. And so it was there for people who are thinking about it as more than Buck Rogers. It was there for more than people who are thinking about it as something besides wagon train and space. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't actually happen. So you're right. You you don't address it. In fact, you can't address it. You cannot address it because then <laughs> then you have shown it and you can't show it. You can't say it. Yeah. But yeah. it was uh, it was really it was an incredibly uh, powerful moment and 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 really uh, difficult. I mean, I spent the first time thinking, is that happening? Is that happening? And then they show you that it's not happening. And so I have that nice sort of 1968. Ah, thank goodness, because I thought something terrible was happening. And then the second time I watched it uh, in preparation for this show, I was like, oh, yeah, that happened. Well, that's to said, you know, it, you can watch it and, and think, oh, well, who is just really scared of this guy? Yeah. Because he's scary. Yeah. But no, the, the way that scene is played out, it, it, it's. They gave you that out. They gave the viewers yeah. that out. And, and, and so I'm, I'm, I don't want to say, well, well, I'm, I don't want to say I'm okay with it. I will say it was, it was actually mature storytelling uh, sort of uh, beyond its years. I mean, there's no way, like I say, like I've said a couple of times already, there's no way you can show that then. So it was there for people who were, you know, ready for it or willing to pick up on it. And for people who weren't, what? What happened? She got scared. He left. And in fact, there are other things that happen, like the way she ditches him later. She complained that she didn't like the food. And Lars is like, oh, I'm going to go tell. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Really? That's how she got. So, okay, this guy did not do anything to her, except had this been... Had this been a movie, had this come later in TV life, had this been a novel, um, yeah. So yeah. just I, kind of a kind of a I don't even know if that's well, that's a thing. So there it is. Now at no, the same I, time I, I'm really glad you brought it up. Yeah. At the same time, the thing with the moon, that's mm-hmm. I mean, they are taking a risk there that you can sort of write off as comedy. It's sort of the same thing like when Paul Lynn would be on something. Well, see, that, that's exactly what I was thinking. You know, you had this history and entertainment of, you know, the the flamboyant character or the obvious man who is cross-dressing like a Milton Berle or something like that. But right. this is really interesting because it, in the reality of Star Trek, you're accepting that these things are real, that that they are you, you know, it, it is what it what you were seeing. It's not like the separation of comedy of oh well that that's just a guy in a dress. Like in this case, it's this kind of 
disturbing, sexually ambiguous thing that <laughs> is really making Chekhov creeped out. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I again, for all the points within the story that you can point at and say, well, that's really forward thinking. That's a little daring. Kudos for putting that in there. You and, know? and yet at the same time, I don't want to say you have an apology for Tamun's character, but you also have very much a you know, walking the man-woman line thing when, when you know, Kirk is like, uh, love is the most important thing on our planet. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. and Shauna says, what is love? And Kirk's like, oh, that's something for men and women. Yeah. That is that, a that, man-woman thing. Yeah, not for a man and Tamun. <laughs> <laughs> not for a man and whatever Tamun is. I think, and well, uh, yeah, I, whatever. Whatever Tamun was. It, it was. So it's kind of strange. I mean, you do get a bit of forward thinking as far as the... The possibility of Tamoon, although again, that is played for comedy as well. I mean, yeah. you can have Jack Lemon in a dress kissing a guy because, right. oh, it's Jack Lemon and he's a comedian and this is a comedy, so that's funny, so this is perfectly acceptable. So Chekhov maybe being wooed by a man is kind of okay because it's Chekhov, you know? I mean, he is yeah. he is always comic, well... He's always attempted comic relief. You can argue right. about whether he is comic relief or not, but he's always attempted comic relief. So this happening to check up. Oh, that's so funny. Put Tamoon in with Kirk. No. Mm. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's that show is not going to be written. No. Not at all. <laughs> um, so I, I want to move on from those points, but I, I, again, I, I'm so glad that you brought that up because I, again, I, I watched it and I was. Uh, I was disturbed and creeped out, and um, it, it needed to be addressed. Um, sports and and gambling on a violent sport. I, I thought this was all very interesting. Like I, I'm I'm not a sports guy, and I'm definitely not a gambling guy. So when people get very excited about gambling on boxing and um, ultimate fighting, and I I do not get it. I do not understand it at all. And I thought it was really interesting that. You know, Kirk has his confrontation with the providers and, and he calls them out for not being evolved and they're engaged in slavery and all this stuff. But then he decides to take them on on their own terms mm-hmm. and make the ultimate bet. And it's another one of the situations where, gosh, it's a good thing that Kirk is really lucky <laughs> because there's there's not like an out for him. At any point in this. And I kept thinking as the Enterprise crew is in the ship listening to all of this happening, there's got to be somebody on board thinking, hey, if Kirk starts to lose, can we just turn this thing around and go really, really fast? (laughs) Because this is not bode well for us at all. Well, we know they couldn't because the providers had control of the Enterprise. But I thought they might have been distracted while the fight was going on. Well, that's possible, certainly. Yeah, 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 yeah. the other thing that that was kind of interesting about that, actually, is originally Kirk says, hey, my crew against all your thralls, one to one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Like, again, that guy that you're talking about who's like, could we turn and flee, has to have been sitting there going, wait a minute, I'm fighting what now? Yeah, (laughs) right. And they get to choose the weapons? Do I get one? Yeah. And it's not going to be one of those non-functioning phasers, is it? Because... yeah. (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah. What I found actually, what I when you're talking about uh, you know Kirk and talking about slavery and talking to the providers about how they're you know, first of all, I don't understand how the providers arranging games gives them purpose because they say that oh well that's the only thing we're good for now or that's the only purpose we have right. at this point. It's like well, I mean this is really just for your amusement. That'd be like you know, filming a television show that only you watch. Yeah. Um, at the same time, how Kirk's nose didn't grow when he was trying to justify his argument, I don't understand. We have found that all life forms in the galaxy are capable of superior development, said Kirk. Mm-hmm. Well, except for that cloudy honey smelling uh, thing from that planet. <laughs> right. I forget where that is, but seriously, leave those from, things from alone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also uh, any computers or robots that are sentient. Yeah, kill those. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, seriously, yeah. I mean, they're just robots, right? I mean, sure, they yeah. think. Sure, some of them even seem to feel, but don't worry about it. Oh, and one time we found these little things that we thought might have been part of a gigantic, widely dispersed neural net. Step on those, okay? Because they are just, I mean, but don't mess with the Horda. And uh, don't mess with people. Right. Because we have found that all life forms in the galaxy are capable of superior development. Mm -hmm. Asterisk. (laughs) Yeah. Unless I don't want to. That's pretty much. Yeah. 
right? Well, you know, there, there was an interesting parallel, though, to like the, this old justification for racism and, and classifying uh, races as superior, inferior by saying that, you know, just by claiming, well, well, these other things are not as evolved. Therefore, it's okay for us to use them for entertainment, for sport, for yeah. slavery, etc. You know, so um, they, maybe they were trying to sneak in a little thing there, a little message there. But yeah, Kirk... Oh. Uh, Kirk's justification doesn't hold up that well. <laughs> I didn't feel like they were trying to sneak that in. I feel like that was – it feels like that was definitely there. I mean it was fascinating for mm-hmm. the provider to say, well, we're only using inferior intellects. Mm-hmm. But they're only inferior intellects because they're keeping them inferior. Shauna picks up pretty quickly on Kirk's truth about he, there is a starship and stars are actually bigger things than what you see. I mean mm-hmm. she right. understands stuff you know, fairly quickly. The only reason she's dumb is because she's being kept dumb. Right, right. So it didn't feel to me like it was a subtle thing. I mean, it's it's not a retelling of the slavery story, but I mean, you know, Kirk calls it. I mean, it, this is slavery. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and hopefully we're not still debating slavery. Although, I mean, certainly in 1968, you did have a lot of um, racial unrest. Not that you don't, mm-hmm. not that you don't even today, but I mean, it was much more, uh, much more of a polarizing um, and sort of front and center uh, issue. Right. Well, and that was just one more way to justify it, to, to say, well, it's okay for us to be racist because we, we've we determined that these are the limits of that race or, you know, these people. So, Does it work, does it work as well, do you think, if you say classist? Uh, probably. I like saying that uh, there are certain people or certain classes that are incapable of working their way up to something else. Well, I mean, not saying that. I mean, going at it from the other way. I mean, instead of saying mm-hmm. that the uh, that the gamesters were racist, is it better to say that they're classist? That I mean, we can treat these people this way because these people aren't as smart as we are. Oh, right. Yeah. And so instead of yeah. making it as smart, let's say as privileged or as rich or as something like that, we can justify what we do because we are superior but not in terms of race because i mean let's face it anybody who ends up in you know on the game board is 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 mud person as far as the giant brains under glass are concerned i mean they're not like oh we don't like andorians so we we harvest as many andorians as we can we make them fight because we hate them it's more nothing is on the level that we are so everything is for our amusement are they kind of like the telosians anything in that respect that um Here's this evolved species that has lost touch with the with the physical world. Yeah. So that yeah yeah. So they're they're playing this out uh, through the expense of whoever they come across in the in the galaxy. Can I ask? And and I I feel certain that anybody who wrote the show would say no. But having gone about a season and a half through Star Trek Star Trek now, excuse me, mm-hmm. at least through the original series, is there kind of a subtle anti egghead theme in Star Trek? Because you mentioned the Telosians, yeah, and certainly the gamesters of Triskelion. Um, Miri, to a certain extent, is an anti-egghead episode. These scientists were trying to figure out a way to uh, prolong life, life prolongation. Mm-hmm. It'll get you every time. And what that ended up doing was killing all the you know functioning people on the planet and leaving a bunch of children who stay children for 300 years until the minute they become adults, they die. Right. Um, Spock certainly always wanting to study new life forms, or at least he was until that pretty much got beaten out of him by Kurt killing <laughs> or trying to kill everything that they made along the way. Right. Um, I'd put Dr. Roger Corby in there. He, uh-huh. he had this idea again about life prolongation. That'll get you. And uh, yeah, we ended up sort of <laughs> turning him into scrap metal as best we could. Yeah. I mean, it's not might makes right exactly, but there's more way of the fighter or way of the thoughtful warrior, maybe, um, than there is give peace a chance or give thought a chance. Well, I mean, Kirk is always struggling with, is he a soldier or a diplomat? No, you he's know, not. We, well, <laughs> well. <laughs> Kirk is reminded sometimes that he can be a diplomat. I mean, he Okay, is, that, that's a better, yeah, yeah, there you go. There's a better description of it, yeah. Yeah, I don't I, know. I'm not saying I'm not saying anybody on Star Trek was like, no, nah, no, nah, enough with these smart people. But it is amazing. I mean, there's like it's it's like smart to a point. It really is kind of a pioneer show. It's kind of a, a get your hands dirty show. Mm-hmm. And anytime we find somebody who's, you know, back east trying to figure out, you know, well, how do we price this railroad thing that we're going to move across? Well, they're the suckers and the saps and the, and the and the good people, the real people are the ones who are down in it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think back to um, 
I, I, to an episode like A Taste of Armageddon where Kirk says, okay, uh, we're barbarians. We admit that we're barbarians, but we choose not to kill. We choose to be better than, than who we are. But Star Trek is constantly balancing this line of the, um, you know, the, the better nature, the, the, the higher thought, the lofty goals and ideals with the, um, the kind of rough and tumble <laughs> as we see here. So there, there may be a little bit of that anti-egghead uh, or at least – Saying that if we if we go too far down that road, then that there's a risk of becoming totally detached from the reality of our physical surroundings. At least we've seen it in a few episodes. Yep. Um, and so some people it, apparently think that's a bad thing. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I don't want to start that fight again, please. Oh, it'll come up time and time again, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, Speaking of something that has come up here, uh, Kirk using seduction as this means to an end, I, I think it's just so much more acute in this episode. And, and we said before that he's so careless about leaving Shauna behind. And for all the planets that we've left behind, you know, we go back to the followers of Val and uh, these places of the Enterprise should have just said, hey, send somebody back in a few months, a few years, check on them, please. Right. Because I'm not totally sure that the providers are good at providing because they've spent who knows how long just working out their gambling system. Um, <laughs> I, I really, I, I really feel for these people, these creatures on this planet, and I want them to be okay. Um, yeah, there so. were there were two things that I thought about for this episode. First of all, I thought about ending my recap by saying, "Well, here we are again, Kirk ruining another perfectly good society." <laughs> which of course is not the case at all but the other thing no, that no, i did they are think, not perfectly good no not by a long shot but the other thing i did think was the second the enterprise crew beams out do you think the provider said all right everybody back with your collars yes that's exactly what i thought <laughs> are they gone are, are we clear all right uh, <laughs> yeah now we're going to educate you to live on your own if living on your own means that you'll be fighting in the arena again tomorrow. Exactly. See you all then. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I um, mean, it was kind of surprising that they didn't, there was no mention of we're going to leave somebody here. We're going to help you. I mean, the, the, the gamesters of Triskelion actually evolved beyond needing bodies, but Kirk says, all right, here's what's going to happen. If I win, you're going to train these people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To, to do for themselves, you know, like you're doing. Eh, yeah. No, I'm right. not sure. No, I don't get it. I mean, Kirk kind of says at, at that point with the providers that, that this is what they do. They they go around the galaxy, lifting people out of oppression and providing with a, providing them with a way to learn and grow for themselves. They expect for except for all the times that they just leave right. <laughs> and don't really make sure that that's happening. We help societies rise up, but uh, you guys got this. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Going to be okay. Yeah. Um, well, we yeah. said we would. Oh, you're right, slave owner. You're completely to be trusted. I'll wager the guys are gonna wanna sum up this episode now. Who wants to lay some quad loose on that? It's that time of the show, Ken, where we get to look back on what we've learned, what we've gleaned, what we've picked up from the episode. And uh, now we're looking at Games of Triskelion and trying to determine if the production holds up. Does this hold up as an episode of Star Trek now going on 50 years later? I was not impressed by it watching it the first time, but going back and watching it the second time, I'd say yeah. And I don't know, maybe I was just tired or maybe I was distracted because watching it, rewatching it to like, you know, make the notes and try to, you know, really get down into it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I thought it was pretty compelling. I mean, certainly there's some goofy stuff like, uh, oh, we're joking. Oh, we're not. You know, <laughs> right. I mean, there's some things that are a little goofy. I like whoever it was that played Galt. He yeah, actually, he, he doesn't walk. He floats. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, he obviously is walking, and sometimes he doesn't quite get that right. Mm -hmm. But he is obviously meant to look as if he is, you know, sort of hovering or floating or something like that. Um, he's creepy looking. Yeah. I can't tell if that's like if he has like a certain speckled skin of an alien or if it's just he hasn't seen the sun in a long time because he spends a lot of time in the catacombs or what the deal is. Uh, but he, he's he's kind of creepy looking. Um the monsters would have been less scary. I mean, more scary, excuse me, if they hadn't looked like that tabletop hockey game that we all played in the 80s. 
<laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like it's sort of like the whole world was being controlled by a by a broken Simon, right? But um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I would say I, I personally, I think this episode uh, works. What about you? Yeah, um, it, it's funny to me how iconic this single episode is. I mean, it, it has been parodied, ripped apart, mocked, referenced, paid homage to so many times. I, the Simpsons has done this episode. And you you sort of can't picture a space babe in a tinfoil bikini without referencing Shauna from mm. this episode. And here's the thing. This episode should be terrible. It, it really should be. It, it has no right to be any better than than Drek <laughs> because you have all these tropes. You, you have Kirk seducing the girl, but then not caring and just leaving at the end. You, you have the shirtless Kirk giving the impassioned speech mm-hmm. to save his crew. You've got kind of a chintzy set and kind of chintzy monsters battling this out. It has no right to hold up the way that it does, but I have to tell you, I loved it. I yeah. loved it from beginning to end and, and watching it a second time. And and a third time, I I love this episode, and I I kind of can't put my finger on it because it really plays into every cliche, good and bad, <laughs> that you think about when you think about Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even as badly as they treat Shauna, um, and just as beautiful as I think she is, I find that to be a really compelling character. There, there's a sadness there, and. The actress, Angelique Pettyjohn, is really beautiful, but she also has this really alien quality that when you get past just the extremeness of the outfit and, and the hair, um, I, I just think it works. It works in such a bizarre way. Yeah. You know? There are um, – yeah, there are things – I get what you're saying about this episode shouldn't work as well as it does. There are so mm. many elements of this episode that we've seen before. I mean, it is yeah, it is yeah. not a leap at all to say that the Gamesters are the same as the Telosians. Well, not the same, but similar. Very, yeah. Very similar to the Telosians. We've heard the Kirk speech. We call mm-hmm. it the Kirk speech. We don't even bother saying, you know that part where Kirk said, no. We've heard the <laughs> right. Kirk speech. We know this. Now, right. I will say, um, I was laughing earlier about Kirk's sort of one night stand with Shauna. Yeah. There's something about her that makes the whole thing okay. It's a little melodramatic at the end when she says, I'll look up, I'll, I'll, I'll see the stars, and I will remember. Sure. Um, but it actually, it actually kind of works. I mean, she got used into it, which, which, yeah. which blows. But, but, I mean, you get the feeling that, that this is a turning point for her in a good way. Now, yeah. a lot of times we say, boy, I'd like to come back in 15 years and see how things are going. I don't want to see what happens to her after this, because that's honestly probably going to be one of the brightest moments of her life. Yeah. It, it, please just get her on a ship and get her out of there. OK, <laughs> that would be really nice, get her get her to Earth or a star base or something. You yeah. know, keep her away from Harry Mudd. Yes, please. But yeah, yeah it yeah. would be kind of nice to say, I mean, you know, crud, that chick went from the 80s on the Enterprise to the future and Star Trek, whichever the search for pods or something oh, oh you, but, you know uh, Star Trek 4 <laughs> yes I, I was kidding Taylor. actually you know you see I was doing that thing where I try not to say the name because I think people uh, know it anyway yeah I think this uh, episode absolutely stood up um, but is I, there I think, a message well one of our earliest messages it might have even been from the cage uh, I think we can both agree John and this may even be exactly how I said it then I think we can both agree John that uh, slavery is bad yeah, uh, hang on Yes, I, I will agree with that. <laughs> and I think that may have been your answer <laughs> yeah, when we said yeah. it 40-something episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Um, there are things that you can pull out of it. I mean, there's no you see, Timmy, <laughs> <laughs> right? as we often run together to one word. Um, I don't think there's any one of those. But, I mean, there are, definitely, there are definitely strong messages, morals, and meanings here. And there is, I mean, despite the fact that it's sort of covered over, there is a... Um, there's a real darkness about this episode too. Maybe that's what maybe that's what does it. I mean, we've seen all of these things before, as yeah. you said earlier, but they haven't been quite as visceral, right? And and right. there's there's something about it that, uh, yeah, I would actually this may have actually uh, ended up in my top ten so far. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I'd agree with that. And, you know, we, we do this thing where we also kind of judge episodes trying to figure out if they work, uh, if you were introducing somebody to Star Trek. And I, I feel like the problem with this episode is only that it the, the iconography of it has sort of outgrown the episode. And, and that's the problem because people will kind of look at it and they'll go, oh, well, it, you know, the, the cheesy set, the cheesy costumes, whatever. Um, but there's a lot of meat here and, and there there is good acting. And like you said, that underlying current of darkness is very strange. And then played off by the comic moments, like with Chekhov and that weird burgeoning relationship with Tamun, you know? Yeah. Um, all, all of that stuff is very strange. I, I think other messages that I picked up from the episode, um, uh, turning your life over to a life of gambling, uh, sports betting is bad. Uh, don't do that. And um, unless, of course, uh, you're Kirk and you bet the lives of your entire crew, uh, not even understanding what the game will be, and uh, boy, you're lucky when you win. Well, okay, I can kind of go along with you on that first one, although I will I will say three words to maybe uh, mm-hmm. uh, counter that. Okay. Uh, Vegas, baby. Vegas. <laughs> and I feel certain that, you know, if we ever end up in some place like Las Vegas for, you know, any reason, well, you, and I, I, uh, yeah. you and I may toss back a couple and talk about it. And if we run yeah, into we anybody, might. if we run into anybody we know, we would like to hear what they think too, but you don't have to wait for chance. There are plenty of ways to get in touch with us, and we would love to hear from you. On Facebook, Skype, and Twitter, the handle is Mission Log Pod. Or you can call us, 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. You can email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. And please don't forget to check out our very nice home on the web, missionlogpodcast.com. Remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Hey, and next week, everybody... Do like me and Ken and bust out your pinstripe suits and fedoras because we're going to be looking at a piece of the action. Some of the music for the mission log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at K.I. Theory.com. Ah, quitting time. Another day, another quote loop. Time to go blow it on video Fizzbin. And transmission. Now leaving Nerdist.com.